This is Social Life, the podcast from Social Communications. Social is a complete communications agency, from stakeholder engagement, political communications and PR, to marketing, creative and design, we have an award-winning reputation for getting results for a broad range of clients across both the public and private sectors, spanning housing, education, planning, infrastructure, technology, energy and more. I'm Seb Patrick and I'm your host for this series of podcasts in which we'll tell you a bit more about ourselves and the work we do, share some of our expertise and insight into the fields we operate in, as well as giving a spotlight to some of our clients and their own work and specialisms. This time around, Social Life is being given over to a heated debate. I'm joined today by Arnie Craven and Adam Lovell, who both work out of our Leeds office and bring with them a wealth of knowledge on regional matters in Yorkshire and the North. Gents, hello. 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 Arnie and Adam have been talking recently about devolution, a subject on which they both hold strong views and differing views. Their main point of contention is whether the lines of devolution are better drawn around economic lines or cultural and identity-based ones. But I'm going to let them explain that a little better than I can. So, Adam, I'm going to hand over to you first and tell us what your point is all about. Excellent. Thank you, Seb. Um, I wanted to start just, just, just briefly, Arnie. On, I think it's probably fair to say that in principle we agree on the need for change. I think that's absolutely right, Adam. I think we both contend that the UK is not working as well as it could at the moment. And I'm sorry for putting words in your mouth, but no. power being decentralised, especially to the north of England, is a good thing, which I believe we both think will lead to better economic and social outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so I'm. I'm, I'm setting a debate up with agreement but um, <laughs> that was easy <laughs> Short episode. Yeah, yeah sorted um no the, the point is we've discussed this um uh, probably for the last year whenever um uh, we've sort of bumped into each other or when, when whenever something's happened and we agree in the principle as i said before that that, that something needs to change the the, the, the way in which the the, the uk is is over centralized and the fact that the, the north or actually the english regions yeah. um don't get their sort of equitable distribution, if you like, and the function and the mechanism doesn't work. Yes. Um, and so that's... So you've got the, 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 the tier of regional government, if you like, which is uh, hyper-local, in my view. Uh, and, well, probably we agree on that part as well. And then you've got the national government. And if you go back to the devolution argument, I mean, you can trace it back years, um, but it, in its latest incarnation, back to... Uh, probably George Osborne Power Hall in Manchester, June 2014, um, the, the launch of the Northern Powerhouse, and 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 the principle, the founding principles, as I understand them, were to look at the functioning economic geographies and enable those um, cities and city regions to be able to better make investment decisions across three uh, uh, specific but yet quite broad. Um, Themes, if you like, so infrastructure, business support, and skills, and that 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 process came out. Um, the the Northern Powerhouse was the branding, the marketing opportunity, and devolution was the levers, if you like, um, to to enable that change across those three broad areas. Yes, and there is a logic in my view, to the economics. And I'm not an economist. I spent four years um, as Yorkshire Business Insider. A lot of this was looking at the sort of 
the, the outcome, if you like, rather than the, de- the, the specific detail of the economics. But you talk about functional economic geographies based on cities across the north. So you've got Liverpool, Manchester, Sheffield, Leeds, Hull and Newcastle. The idea was to get those cities functioning better and competing globally, not with London, but um, actually with, with functioning as, as a sort of single unit of six cities across the north. And the logic of that, so, so where people move for their economy, so where they live and where they work, where they, where they rest, where they play. And there was some um, uh, sort of economic theory around that, um, which was led by Jim O'Neill, I understand, Lord Jim O'Neill, um, the Goldman Sachs, formerly Goldman Sachs chief economist, looking at how those regions need to come, to, come together better and then begin to make those investment decisions on infrastructure on business support and skills and it was it felt a little bit like the sort of um, uh, it it, it was the solution it appeared to be the solution and then we got into um, my my issue with this which is the identity politics so so are we part of North Lincolnshire or Yorkshire or the Humber or um, any number of different um, uh, regions. And we've seen the success in Manchester, the, 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 the sort of monocentric nature of Manchester's economy enables the sort of greater coming together. They're on, what, Devo 5, 6, 7, depending on who you speak to. Um, and then, then what happened was it got into Yorkshire and the Humber and it got bogged down with, with, with the identity politics. And it got bogged down in the... Um, very challenge that it was trying to overcome. So you have the what's in it for me, what's in it for Selby. And that's not to denigrate Selby, but it's, you, there's, there's, there's got to be, I suppose when you talk about equitable um, sort of release of funds and investment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you then put yourself into the position where you have to say, well, it has to be equitable for all or else it's not. Um, however, it, it, it moved away from the principle which was about supporting the cities. Yeah. So then what you ended up with is North Lincolnshire competing with North East Lincolnshire, which was intended to overcome that very issue. And then it got into the um, issues of the two-tier authority system versus the unitary authority. So you had Chesterfield, for example, which, according to the uh, economics of it, um, was part of the Sheffield City region's functional economic geography. It was, and still is. And still is, but sits below Derbyshire County Council. And so you had the, le- the Labour leader of Chesterfield wanting to be part of the Sheffield City region, and you had the Labour leader of Derbyshire County Council opposing that. And so it got bogged down in those identity politics. And you had Chesterfield as a prime example of where you had Labour politicians... You had politicians, irrespective of a few, I think, at this point, um, who were saying, we're not part of Yorkshire, we're part of Derbyshire. And so that, the, the identity politics there slowed the process and, and, and indeed almost scuppered it. And so you then get to the point where actually is the identity politics, and I use the term identity politics in its broadest sense... To, 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 indeed, to, I know, to, I'm to, happy for you to caricature it in that way. And, and, and that... that that issue has has been the undoing, in many cases, of a fantastic opportunity. The Humber is a case in point. 
The, the, you know, Cameron said it, didn't he? In 20, was it 2014, 2015? That lot in Yorkshire, we, we, we know that they didn't like <laughs> us. We didn't realise they hated each other so much. Indeed, I recall that very well. I, and, I raised a, an eyebrow yeah. at that statement when he made it. I was and so, so you have these competing... The idea was to get over the competition yes. and work better as a unit. And it, it then slipped into the very myopia that created the problem in the first place and 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 to me this is this is why my point in 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 this conversation it's the conversation again that we've had on many occasions i'm not saying that we do away with democracy what i'm saying is that we need to go back to the sort of founding principles about this which is about wealth and prosperity and creating better wealth and prosperity and better opportunity for the people that live in these regions to be able to access better jobs to be able for international firms national firms to make better or to make investment decisions which have a positive impact on those regions and to do that we need scale we don't just need economies of scale which the populations give us we need uh, uh, economies of thought and I don't think we've got that. And I think the identity politics, in the sense in which I caricature it, as you say, is a significant problem in trying to overcome that. That, that all sounds perfectly reasonable, Arnie, doesn't it? As I'm sure you, you can't possibly take, take issue with any of that, really, can you? Well, no. In fact, I, I found myself sitting and nodding when listening to a lot of what Adam said. In fact, I think I agreed with almost all of, of what Adam said. My, I say almost all because there is the, the very important distinction we have in that my, my view on devolution, Adam and I, I believe, both, as we said earlier, both believe that devolution is, is absolutely the right thing for the northern economy. My position is one that we need to do everything we can to give devolution the best chance of succeeding. And we need to make sure that devolution and the structures of governance that are formed through the devolution process are not wiped away by a civil servant in Whitehall in 20 or 30 years from now, as has happened so many times before. My contention is that what we've described as identity politics, I think the, um, the vocabulary may be lacking a bit in, in terms of the debate in general. As I, I understand why you refer to it as that, Adam, and I can't think of a better way to refer to it than that, but I don't think it quite captures fully, fully where we are. My contention is that, on, on the very base level, political structures do best and are most likely to succeed and enjoy longevity when people feel buy-in to them. And to, to look back into history to defend this for a moment, and please do indulge me whilst I talk about political history, um, if we look at the original development of human societies 10, 15,000 years ago, these societies were originally formed on a tribal structure where people people lived together and they, they cooperated to ensure security and food and things of that nature. And I think a lot of... Um, a lot of historians would suggest it was only the advent of religion that led to society changing from a, a tribalist nature to something, something broader, in that when you're cooperating for food or shelter, you're acting very much in, in your own self-interest. When you're cooperating because you share a common religion and a common belief, you're likely to... And again, I, I apologise that this is rather historical as a perspective you are much more likely to cooperate not based on rational self-interest, but based on a desire to, to support something bigger. So 
I looked at that and I looked at the original conceptions of human society and I looked at how we moved from tribalism to, to the first political structures, which were very heavily religious-focused and were led by, by a monarch. And I, saw, I, I looked at how society has developed for many, many years. Different political societies have risen and they've fallen and existed in a relatively warlike form until the 17th century. Really, in the 17th century, there was uh, the Thirty Years' War in Europe, um, where there were such a great many states in Europe that had little relationships, people's cultural feelings, people's sense of nationhood, and these these states had war uh, engaged in conflict for so long that there was a um, eventually after Thirty Years there was a peace negotiation in a, a town in Europe called Westphalia. And in Westphalia, something called the Peace of Westphalia was signed. This document outlined that the states of Europe would be restructured. And it was based on the conception that people will best support political structures and will best be willing to pay their taxes and will be less likely to engage in acts of violence or engage in conflict if they feel a sense of belonging to their, to their structure of governance. And that led to a, a massive reduction in, in political structures around Europe. It led to the formations of things like modern Germany and modern France. Um, I, I'm it's slightly glossing over well, this. hasn't it? As in, it in principle, indeed, it's the, the, the peace of Westphalia has been an enduring one. And I am glossing over this, so if there are any historians listening, please, uh, please accept my apologies in, in retrospect. But that, that has been an enduring foundation of political philosophy ever since, that for a structure of governance and a unit of governance to be most successful and to enjoy, and to enjoy longevity, it, people need to feel an emotional attachment to it. And history shows us that when people have tried to create fun, units of governance which are not based on identity, such as Austro-Hungarian Empire, Czechoslovakia, um, Ireland within the UK... Uh, the Saddam, uh, the the merging of North and South Saddam, these political structures have never enjoyed the same longevity. Now, I appreciate that's a very internationalist point, and it, it doesn't relate fully to local government. You, you might be thinking, you know, what's Leeds City Region got to do with Austro-Hungary and the collapse of that um, in the uh, early 20th century? But I believe the same principle can be applied to local government as well, and my evidence for that is what happened after the Local Government Act of 1972 in England. This Local Government Act wiped away a thousand years of English local government history, really, and it took a very scientific and very intelligent view. And instead of looking at cultural boundaries, it looked at the economic performance of different regions, and it looked at how cities and towns cooperated with each other. And it created structures of governance that related to those economic boundaries. It created structures of governance like Avon and Cleveland and Humberside. And Adam, you know, you are from Humberside. And I'd so like I say we're from Humberside. Though, no, you're not allowed to do that anymore, are you? <laughs> um, you are from the Humber, if you like, and that you are from the south bank of the Humber. I hope you don't mind me saying. No, no. And that that is a region which, in every way, makes sense. It's a region that's based on Hull on the north bank. Strunthorpe and uh, Grimsby on the south bank. And in general, those areas are economically rather similar. Yes. They're all on the Humber estuary. They all are port areas. Yep. They all suffer from the de decline in the fishing industry, Grimsby especially, I think. They, they're areas that, by all sensible economic logic, should work really well together. 
and the government saw that, and Parliament saw that in the 70s, and so it decided to move away from um, structures of government based on identity, and it decided to adopt structures of governance based on economics. And it failed spectacularly. Humberside, um, for those listeners who um, didn't pay attention to what happened in Humberside, I recall watching a recording of BBC Parliament uh, from about 1994, whilst I was doing my uh, degree, and I recall seeing a Tory MP stand up from East Yorkshire and brandish a piece of paper and say, I will not rest until the word Humberside is expunged from the um, English dictionary. And I recall reading stories about people torching signs that had Humberside written on it. I recall Still used by the post office to, to the ire of many a people in Humberside. I understand, well. yes. Uh, I've heard of many letters being torn up or returned <laughs> yeah. to sender. People, I understand that school children, um, school books, uh, younger listeners may remember that school textbooks often have the name of the county council written on them. I understand that school children in some areas were encouraged to tear up any exercise books that had Humberside written on it. Uh, things were, that said Humberside were thrown into the Humber estuary, never to be seen again. I mean, it wasn't quite um, proper civil disobedience, but he got close. This didn't happen in Humberside alone, though. This happened in many of these areas which were created by the logic that economics should trump identity. Now, I'm a true believer in devolution. I believe that it's so important for devolution to take place, and I believe that the North will never properly be able to thrive without a devolved system of government governance. I do not want us to repeat the mistakes of the past. I think we need we should look at history and we should say, OK, let's accept the UK is not working properly. Power needs to go to the northern regions. If we accept that contention, which I'm, I'm delighted that most people now do, and that's, that's something I've given men's credit to George Osborne for, actually, from his speech in 2014, where he, he got that debate going for the first time. If we accept that contention, then we need to say, how best can we build an enduring structure of governance which will last? And I don't believe we should try something we've already tried and has already failed. I believe we should look at units of governance which people actually feel emotional attachment to and adopt those. What are examples, either uh, other than the, the previous example that you, that you just gave of Humberside, but, but existing or hypothetical future examples of each of the, the devolutionary blocks that you would consider would best make your point? Manchester, yeah. Manchester Greater Manchester is the example there, um, which, which actually has probably, and again, Annie, d- d- disagree if, 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 if I'm putting words in your mouth, probably has... Both of that which we're arguing for, I, I would that, that would have been my thought actually. actually yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 therefore, I, I, I suppose, in in conceding to a certain degree that that, that I, I don't disagree with the need for um, widespread support. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and again, Manchester is an example. But the lot in Manchester still have lots of scraps behind closed doors, yes. um, and they, they, they then come out of the room and you know ties around necks and there's bleeding noses. But <laughs> but but all the leaders come out and say yes, we agree. Um, and so the, there is a bit of collective responsibility, if you like, um, less <laughs> more so than the current cabinet, obviously. Um, but we've got. We've got an example where Manchester does do those things on a bigger scale, and they do have buy-in. Now, there's still some issues kicking around, but they are on. And this comes to my point. They are on Devo 6 or 7. 
and you, you, just to pick up on, on, on the point that you make at the end there, which is about making sure history doesn't repeat itself. Humberside, absolutely, it's, it's, it's toxic. You can't mention it, and which to me is ludicrous. I, ca- I cannot comprehend it. Um, and, and being from um, uh, the, the South Bank of the Humber, I talked before about sort of monocentric economies. Well, the, the, the Humber, the river, makes that a monocentric economy, in my view. Um, but what we also are is I, I grew up, so I'm, I'm sort of part of Lincolnshire, but I'm close to Yorkshire, and then I'm near Sheffield, and 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 it's it's um, you sort of grow up as um, uh, as the sort of the sort of bastard child of both Lincolnshire and Yorkshire, <laughs> and uh, which neither one really wants to, to to deal with. So you end up in this position of um, sort of I don't know stasis, if you like, um, and. And I and then did, did, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm going around the houses here. But you mentioned I wrote down that you said make sure history doesn't repeat itself. Absolutely, I agree with you. And I don't think these latest proposals are examples of history repeating itself. Humberside, yes, was toxic. You couldn't go back to it. And indeed, during the 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 move towards a um, Humber combined authority, which never got anywhere near, those campaigning against it were camp- quite literally campaigning on do you want to return to Humberside County Council, which of course the, 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 the toxic um, uh, view that was held on that made sure that that didn't actually happen. So they knew what they were doing. My view is that you have a um, uh, you have the national government and then you have hyperlocal government and there's this bit in between which doesn't exist at the moment. And so that's what they were trying to create. This, yes. this, this is what was trying to be created. And then the, 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 the lower level, uh, just in terms of my analogy, not, not necessarily less important, uh, in fact, absolutely categorically not, um, it, was about, uh, it wasn't about taking power away or it wasn't about an additional layer, sorry, it wasn't about an additional layer of governance. And you saw it in Yorkshire when you had leaders of certain local authorities, people who I had conversations with in detail about this, who would say, ah, well, we, 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 you know, the, 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 um, uh, the fact that Osborne was insisting on a mayor, they, they, they would turn around and say, well, we had a referendum that said we didn't want a mayor. And I, 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 I would make the argument that that was a different discussion because it was a different mayor. Indeed. And so they Indeed. kept pushing against this referendum that, that enabled them to push back against this opportunity. And so it wasn't, for me, about um, uh, sort of creating an additional layer. It was taking some of the responsibility in those three specific areas, infrastructure investment, business support, skills to be able to make decisions which need to be made across larger geographic areas and taking it away from those local politicians who... So, so you would have a ward councillor in Wakefield, and this is a conversation we've had before, you'd have a Indeed. ward councillor in Wakefield who might get voted in on a 1,000 votes, a very small majority, and they, they would then be, be the elected... Not the elected mayor, they would become the leader of... Uh, said combined authority, we don't need a mayor because I've got this. Well, I'm sorry, that person actually is mandated to the ward council in Wakefield. And, I've, and, and you know, you look at the position of somebody whereby on, day, or, or on Thursday afternoon they need to be having those high-level strategic meetings about what they're going to do with a £1.7 billion transport fund. 
but they can't finish that meeting off because they've got to go to a ward council meeting to go speak to, to, to people about wheelie bins and the direction of car parking spaces and um, dog mess. And I do not, for one second, uh, dismiss the impact of car parking and wheelie bins and dog mess on people's lives. But it is not in any way, shape or form in the same uh, place as those larger, bigger conversations. You can't be chief exec and be Indeed, the person not. on I the mean, front, front end. In the spirit of um, comradely agreement here, I, I want to come back and really echo that point. And I think this is one of the really great things about where we are with the devolution debate now, in that it, in terms of mainstream politics, there's, there's a good acceptance of that. I mean, I look at what's happened in Sheffield City region. If I asked you who the mayor of Sheffield City region is, you'd you'd tell me straight away. We most people know who the mayor of Sheffield City region is. He was elected on I think one hundred and forty four thousand votes in the second round. Dan Jarvis. He's replaced um, the chairman of Sheffield City region, who did the role before May, who had been elected on a thousand votes. And I think this is very important. I think this point is actually key when it comes to why there needs to be elections to these bodies. Because the weight of 144,000 votes will open doors in Whitehall in that the weight of a ward councillor who's been elected by his peers to be leader of his borough council and then elected by his peers, the other councillor leaders, to chair a combined authority who has maybe 1,000 to 1,500 votes behind him, will never be as successful. All of political history shows us that people with big mandates can exercise good, soft power. Dan Jarvis, the mayor of Sheffield City Region, has truly a minuscule level of formal authority. The devolution deal in Sheffield City Region hasn't been signed. He's got some powers over the regulation of buses and nothing else. I'm told he's not even paid a salary, the um, the devolution deal. The de- you're, you're, yes. you're showing surprise in your face. I'm assured that Dan Jarvis, the salary is part of the devolution deal. And so Dan Jarvis is not even paid a salary as his role as Sheffield City Region Mayor at the moment. Now, How many people does he represent now? As a, what, what's the population? One and a half million, City? something like that. Well, South Yorkshire. One Google. and a half million. Sorry, Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan but Dan, despite all these things, despite him having no salary and no powers, he represents the number of people Adam will soon tell us and is an extraordinary voice. 1.8 million. 1.8 is an extraordinary voice for South Yorkshire. So I agree with all of those things. I've made a couple of notes when I was listening to you speak, which I want to come back on. You raised Greater Manchester as an example. I actually think Greater Manchester is a really good case, and I'm pleased you you referenced that because when I was writing my list, Avon, Cleveland, Humberside, my my finger started to shake as I went to write a G, and I decided um, against it. I think Greater Manchester may actually could be used to defend my argument in that what I see the creation of Greater Manchester in the 1970s hours was politicians catching up with identity rather than trying to create a new level of identity. I, I think about Manchester and I think about what Manchester's famous exports are. Um, I'm not much into music, but I don't mind football. And I, I think of Manchester United. You know, they are, or at least until five years ago, they were Manchester's footballing export. 
Manchester United are not based within Manchester. Manchester United are a Trafford-based organisation, a completely different borough. When people were um, participating in the Anti-Corn Law League, which was a very famous Manchester organisation, as, as you'll all know, I don't think their activity stopped when they crossed the bridge into Salford. I think these things, that, that was still seen by many as Manchester. Manchester had, Manchester had the benefit of being a monocentric region, stood right at the edge of two, council, two counties, Lancashire and Cheshire, and as such developed a quite a strong identity of its own. Now, if I go to Barnsley, for example, which is a fine place, and I speak to people... In Barnsley, I, I simply don't believe the same identity exists. I don't believe... I think I could spend days on the streets of Barnsley and asking people where they're from. They may say Barnsley, they may say something more local. The town within Barnsley, borough that they're from, they might say um, Yorkshire, England, the UK. You know, given the results of the EU referendum, they probably wouldn't say Europe, but I'm sure they wouldn't say Sheffield City region. And, and this is what comes back to my wider point, in that I... I understand George Osborne's principles, and I understand. I, I completely agree with the arguments you make in regards to it not being a devolution shouldn't be a layer of bureaucracy. Devolution should be about taking and grouping powers and pulling powers down from central government, and trying to affect better political outcomes in an area over things like infrastructure and business and skills where we lag behind so much. But I want that to take place not for the next five years. I want those structures to exist for 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. And I know there will be a time in the future, I don't claim to be prophetic, but political desires change. We've seen this happen on so many occasions. We saw in the 1980s where the county council started electing Labour majorities and they started to challenge central government and so the Thatch government just said, go away and abolish them because it didn't like the political outcomes they were, they were providing. I don't want that to happen again. Do I believe a man or woman on the street of Barnsley would bat an eyelid if central government said, tomorrow, Sheffield City Region is being abolished. We don't think it's right. We'll just return the powers to Barnsley, as that's what he's always said when regional government is abolished. I don't know. I don't believe that there would be much response at all. There'd be response from people like you or I, Adam, saying this is bad for economic development, there needs to be regional cooperation, and etc. The man on the street, the man in the pub in Barnsley, or Rotherham, or Wakefield, or anywhere else in Yorkshire, I don't believe would particularly care. That's if- the problem, though, isn't it? So, 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 so that... You're attaching, in my view, um, a great deal to an apathetic audience. And, and it, again, I don't dismiss by any stretch of the imagination the, um, uh, the, um, what might, the, the importance of um, the, 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 the backing, if you like, um, and, and, and the, I'm trying to avoid identity politics. It's not, but, but in the context of our indeed, conversation, indeed. I'm, I'm happy the, with the importance of that and, and, and place yes. and people's... Um, Attachment to place. Yes, I don't dismiss that. But if 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 there is a significant degree of apathy, yes, which I think is is the, is part of the challenge, 
And so they won't bat an eyelid, those people of Barnsley. I mean, we're, we're doing a disservice to the people of Barnsley here. But, but it takes scum off. It takes scum off, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, and actually, do you know what? Anecdotally, I, I, I can say in terms of scum off, my, my friends, I'm, I'm 33, um, and my friends generally, I wouldn't say, particularly engaged in the process. Sometimes less so when I start speaking, <laughs> sometimes more so. But I'm trying to get across to them the importance of this. And actually, I think it probably comes to a wider part, wider point, which is that the need for change is, is driven generally, and again, the historians and the economists are going to be coming at us um, quite significantly after this, but the, the, the need for change is generally driven when people um, want to raise themselves, if you like, and, and, and create a better opportunity. And I think our viewpoint of what wealth creation, what prosperity looks like, we're actually coming from a relatively high base. Yeah. And so actually most people are okay. And so the difficult decisions that people are making um, are, are, are based on, I hate to use the sort of uh, tabloid analogy, of, but but how big the next flat screen TV is going to be. And, and whether or not they're going to be able to go on two, maybe three holidays. Or what, and, and, and I think that's part of, that's, that's driving the apathy. Well, it's kind of like, I'm okay, so does it need to change? Yes. The other side of the apathy is driven by those in the positions of power, in the politics, who I think are probably taking advantage of that apathy. And, and it's kind of suits so that, that what about Selby analogy that, 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 I, that I use. And, and I, again, not to denigrate Barnsley, I think we take it back to what it was. It was about city growth. There was a, there was a World WTO report a few years ago that, that, that predicted that um, urban living, if you like, was going to increase as 65% of the world economy within 20 years or something like that would be living in urban centres. So it's the growth of cities on a global scale. And that's the bit that we're missing here because this is a global competition and this is about creating a better north across the globe. And we aren't competing with Barnsley or Pontefract or Salford. We're competing against the north. And that, 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 that fractured place and that fractured identity is too much of a problem to overcome it um, at, at the moment. And, and it's been left in the hands of people who it suits to retain the status quo. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking, I don't want to stretch too far, but this, it's borderline revolution because it's in the hands of people who actually aren't going to do it. You mentioned it about being 20 years, 30 years, 100 years. This, this, this is about my children's future and possibly my children's children's future. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and I think we've got to the point where the, again, for the sake of our argument, those identity politics, that, that attachment to place is, in my view, the attachment to place and the apathy combined is creating a block or a blocker to development. And I think we, we either... I suppose your argument would be, well, so we, so we just do away with it? Ah, oh, well, let me, let me retort. <laughs> uh, I've made some notes. No, I think, again, I, I agree with a great deal of your analysis. And we get to different end points. What I was going to say... Um, I don't believe people in Barnsley would go out to bat for Sheffield City Region if it faced abolition... If there was a building with the Yorkshire flag flying over it 
and someone in Westminster or Whitehall spoke about abolishing the Yorkshire Combined Authority or the Mayor of Yorkshire, I believe all political history shows us that that would solicit a much less apathetic response from people. Now, that is a faith-based position. I accept completely. But when I go and see the Tory Yorkshire crowds every year, which swell, and I see the great successes of organisations like Welcome to Yorkshire, I see people out there flying the flag and buying into that identity, not as a exclusionary identity, but as a very positive, modern, civic identity, um, I see that emotion that people feel. And... I, I, I go back to my earlier point, but I illustrate it with a different example. I look at what happened in Wales. I look at the Welsh devolution settlement, which was voted for on a tiny margin in the referendum in 1998. It was 51%, 49% from what I recall. And the powers of the Welsh Assembly, as originally constituted, were very, very weak. However, as soon as that body existed... Welsh civic society, Welsh organisations, whether they were from the South Wales, which is very economically different to Central Wales or to North Wales, sorry, Mid Wales, not Central Wales, Mid Wales or North Wales, everyone started to back that body because they felt a cultural bind to it. And the Welsh Assembly went from being what was really a management body of public services to 20 years later, a body that's got primary legislative powers over a great many things. He's running the NHS in Wales, he's doing big infrastructure projects, he's building a, a mass transit system in Wales' biggest city. Wouldn't that be a treat in Yorkshire? He's doing all of these things. And I believe that what happened is that that organisation was created, people felt the cultural bind to it, so drove it forward. That's not to the exclusion of city-based devolution. Um, similarly in Scotland, you know, Edinburgh has a tram system. Now that is the Scottish Government. The Scottish Government has the capacity to do different things in different places because it is a, an organisation that's seen repeat devolution to it. There's n the prospect of the Scottish or Welsh administrations facing the threat of closure or having powers removed or centralisation is incomprehensible to me in that people feel a cultural buy-in to that organisation so the process of devolution can, can go further. Now, am I suggesting shoehorn grabbing identity and using it as a mechanism to squeeze more infrastructure spending out of government? Yes, I am. Am I saying that using the identity to push away the apathy that people in Strunthorpe or Barnsley or Doncaster or Pontefract, I'm from Pontefract, so I can say people, there's a lot of apathy there about the devolution debate. Um, am I suggesting using that identity and using it as a mechanism to squeeze devolution out of government and to protect the devolution settlement and to mean that I no longer have to get a train to work on a converted, which is a converted bus from the 1980s every day? I absolutely am suggesting that, yes. And I... I I completely accept your argument that devolution... George Osborne's vision of devolution was an economic vision. Mm -hmm. And what I think where we may divert slightly is that I see the economics and I see that as being very important. But then I look at Scotland, say, and I look at Scotland with its population of 5 million people, and I look at Yorkshire with its population of 5 million people, or Greater Manchester with its population of 3, and I think, OK, in some ways the devolution agenda has led to... Greater Manchester, parts of Yorkshire having certain powers devolved to it. 
why can we not look at Scotland where the NHS is devolved, where justice mm-hmm. is devolved? Why can't we aspire even further? Why can't we, if it's good enough for Scotland, why can't we overcome that, um, that reticence to actually make changes in our region? Do I believe that there could ever be a, the push from the residents of Sheffield City Region or of Leeds City Region, people as divergent as those who live in Settle in North Yorkshire and those who live in Pontefract? Can I ever believe those buying into an identity such as Leeds City Region so strongly that they will push the government to devolve things like the health service or, or do really fundamental changes? I struggle. I struggle to imagine that ever happening. And that, I think that's where I'm really coming from. But do... Just because it's always been, should, should, is, that, is that reason enough not to do anything? And, 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 and I, I don't think... So the Yorkshire thing is an example... The, um, the, the idea that um, 20 Yorkshire councils can come together and create one Yorkshire, I mean, the very nature of it is not 20. Um, I think it was 19, or it was 18 at one point, 17 at one point, 17, which, which 18 I made. Now. It's 18, 18 now, I'm told. so it's gone from 0.85 Yorkshire to 0.9 Yorkshire, hasn't it? <laughs> indeed, not, not indeed one. it has. And, and so the, the very foundations of it can't, cannot. Be it, it can't come to fruition because those involved in it won't, 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 don't want to be involved. Yeah. They won't. They can't come to a conclusion. It, it cuts off the, the the Humber, as an example. Um, so you lose the the foundations and the prince or the founding principles, which is about looking at the economic model and supporting the growth of that from an economic. Point of view, yes. and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to increase economic growth. You're trying to catalyze it. You're trying to attract more investment. You're trying to enable businesses to move around better. You, you want to uh, increase salaries. You want to, all these different things, which is an economic uh, strategy. Yes. And so you then turn around and say, but so so if it becomes one Yorkshire, what happens to the South Bank? And that that isn't me saying what happens to the South Bank because I live there. Um, it's simply um, about, well, if we're part of that functional economic geography and the idea of this is to support fun- the functional economic geographies to improve in, in the broadest sense, um, then does it do that if we then become this one Yorkshire thing? And, and what are the synergies? So what, what, what's, the, what's the strategy for dealing with Bridlington and um, Barnsley and, and the different challenges that, that, that they have there, I mean, I'd be interested in. I've, I've never, I've never had anyone um, be able to explain to me the one Yorkshire thing past that which you just described, which I don't dismiss as been irrelevant by any stretch of the imagination. But I would like to uh, get a better understanding of actually the the economics of it, because it, it, you know, if there's no connection between the Sheffield City region, so to speak. Um, then and there's no connection between Barnsley and Sheffield exit from a, from an emotional perspective. Yes. Then what possible emotional connection is there between Barnsley and Bridlington? And I think that's a very fair question. I think it, my my retort that will be to to look at examples again and to look at. I think there are, there are probably two things there. There's the South Bank of the Humber question, which is a very specific one, and then there's the the wider Yorkshire question. I, I'll try to deal with those in turn. Um, the, the South Bank of the Humber is is a real issue, I think. It's a lovely place, of course, but a real issue nevertheless in that 
it evidently is economically connected to the East Riding of Yorkshire in a very significant way, and actually to Doncaster. Yeah, quite significantly as well. The the M one eighty, it's hard to tell when you're in North Lincolnshire and when you're in Doncaster. The two the two very much are connected to each other. I accept that. I think North Lincoln, North and North East Lincolnshire is a real challenge when it comes to the devolution debate because the, the, their authorities did originally propose to enter the Lincolnshire Combined Authority, the Greater yeah. Lincolnshire Combined Authority, two years ago. Which the county council put paid And the county council just voted against that, uh, which I thought was a, an interesting and potentially short-sighted view. Now, if we remember ten years ago, the government actually had defined meaningful economic regions. It had defined areas which needed economic support and it had defined areas which were suitable for the creation of pan-regional strategic bodies. And one of those regions was Yorkshire and the Humber. So the, there was a lot of economic work that was done, um, as was in the northwest, to to understand how the regions fit together. And partly off the back of that, the northernmost bit of Yorkshire was lobbed off and put into the northeast, and then we got Grimsby in return. I don't know whether that's a fair trade. I'll <laughs> let other people to consider that. But there was that recognition. Now, I I hear some people, when talking about one Yorkshire devolution, referring to the 20 authorities. I saw a, a map that Dan Jarvis put out, which proudly had Humberside written on it at one point in his proposal. So I think that's, I think that's a very specific issue. Humberside, it's very specific, sorry, the Humber, for any purists listening, that's a very specific and localised issue. I don't quite know how best that would work. I mean, you, you know it the won't be resolved. It won't be resolved. Where, where does that go? What I, would, what I might say, though, is just because you exist out with one structure of governance doesn't mean you can't economically cooperate. Mm-hmm. True. You know, it's North North Lincolnshire and North East Lincolnshire have no strategic... Well, I don't believe they have any strategic body connecting just those two as a bridge. They share some services across the local authorities. OK, but there's not there's not like a combined authority that covers North and North East. No, Lincoln, absolutely so. not, no, no. And they economically cooperate nevertheless. I, I think it would be, um, it'd be extraordinarily counterproductive for a, a hypothetical one Yorkshire to no longer share, to cooperate with North and North East Links. I'm I'm not a purist to such an extent that I would say, look, exclude North and North East Links if they wanted to join. I think that would be a matter for the population of North and North East Links. If they feel an attachment to the Yorkshire and Humber identity, then you could potentially imagine that working. I think that's... that's my, my understanding as it, as it is, um, is that North East Lincolnshire would be agreeable to a one Yorkshire deal... One Yorkshire air quote. Yeah, still. yeah. One Yorkshire plus, um, <laughs> and um, Northern Lincolnshire will have have nailed their colours to the Lincolnshire mask. Right. Mast. I believe the economic synergies between Bridlington and Barnes are negligible. There's probably some tourist traffic between the two. There's little else. I can't imagine there being any reason for there being a great deal of economic cooperation to exist. And so under under the George Osborne conception of devolution then that, that is not a viable area to see devolution to. I think this the, the really fundamental thing, the really fundamental point I'd make is that devolution shouldn't be about following diktats of central government. Devolution is about making choices which best suit an area. George Osborne coming to Manchester and saying devolution should be X, Y and Z 
rather ironically in my eyes, immediately meant what he was promoting wasn't devolution because he was telling people what their devolution would look like. And in many, many of the devolution agreements I read, which are fabulous pieces of work, I won't name any specific combined authorities, but I recall reading one that was about 90 pages saying, we will do this with government, we will ask you to let us do this, you will give us some funding if we do this, etc., etc. And I compare it to other models of devolution around the world. I compare it to the Canadian model of federalism and uh, regional government, where instead of these 90-page documents where devolution asks are made and, and combined authority promises to do X, Y and Z and the government will monitor it every five years, in Canada there's a simple list. It says health is devolved, transport is not. Foreign affairs is not devolved. Policing is devolved. And then it's up to the two authorities to exist and to cooperate autonomously, but to resolve their issues. And I think that that's really the fundamental. George Osborne opened the door to devolution with his Manchester speech, and I, I can only praise him for doing that. And I think the Manchester model has worked really well because they, they've played within the framework outlined by George Osborne. But George Osborne's speech in 2014, if I listened to that and came to where I am today in 2018, I'd find it inconceivable that we've gone from George Osborne's speech to the NHS being devolved to Greater Manchester. That runs so far away from Osborne's original principles. But that's but but my, 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 I think that's a really important point because actually what what this is is about a staging process. Indeed. And I think to go down, I mean, be under no illusion. I think anybody who who, who thinks differently is is on a different planet. Is that this is not devolution in the purest sense? Yes. This is uh, managed devolution. So. We'll let you, says Whitehall, we'll let you spend the money in the way that you want to spend it as long as we agree that, that, that that's the right way to spend it. You're right, it's decentralisation. Really. Yes, but it, this, this, this staging, I think, is really important. And I, and I think probably the, the mistake we've made in Yorkshire um, and the Humber is that we've anticipated going too much too soon. Mm-hmm. And what Whitehall in its broadest sense, is nervous. Yeah. And if you actually take it to, to, to what many of the political thinkers might, might think is, is a logical conclusion, is that, that, that you're going towards an independent Yorkshire state, <laughs> which, which, and so, which some people call for. But if you, if you go so far, then, then, you know, Scotland has called for um, uh, independence. Now, they, lost the, they lost the refer- referendum. So, so Whitehall will be, I think, quite genuinely looking at saying, well, how far does this go? Yes. yes. Um, and so what, we, what I think what's probably happened is we've said we want to go all the way. If it isn't full devolution, whole devolution, absolute categorical devolution, yes. give us the money, let us do what we yes. want with it, then we're not interested. Yes. And I think that's been a mistake. And I think the, the, the um, place identity has been used, in my view to enable uh, a sort of, look, I want what's best for Yorkshire. I want what's best for, for my place, and this isn't good enough. Yes. And, and therefore, actually, what it's done is, is enable the status quo to, to, to exist. So I think that there's probably a, 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 a view that we, we need a bit of a reset and I think on, we both devolution. We, we both definitely agree that the status quo cannot maintain, cannot be, cannot be continued. I think the, probably the final point I would make is that 
you're absolutely right that the devolution works best when staged. It's what's happened in Wales, it's what's happened in Scotland, it's what's happened in Greater London. And Greater Manchester. And Greater Manchester. These are all good examples of that. What is key, what exists in all of those places, though, is, and I appreciate we're getting to a point now where I'm coming back to my original argument, what exists in all of those places is popular support for that notion of identity. And as such, once the governance structure is established, the asks can then come with little risk of, of going away of the organisation being... Yeah. I completely agree with you that if devolution in Yorkshire has been all or nothing, that is absolutely the, the wrong thing to do because that, that would be grossly off-putting to government. And it's that's not how government works. Whitehall is deeply reticent to let go of anything. So you, you move slowly and you take progressive steps and then 20 years down the line you have you have a decent structure of government. What worries me, though, is that you can stage in different ways. You can stage through powers, which I think is a, a very sensible suggestion, and anyone who said we want full legislative autonomy for Yorkshire or nothing is, is adopting the wrong approach. However, structure is different. Because adopting the wrong structure, we saw what happened in Humberside. The wrong structure was was established in Humberside. It was established in Avon. It was established in other places. Avon was established in 1974. People did not like it. People rejected it. They fought against it. It was only in 2017 that that was corrected and that a proper governance structure was put in place through the West of England Combined Authority. That is 43 years. That is... 43 years going down the wrong path and that's take time and now we're right back at the start with a relatively with a combined authority at the start of its life starting to accumulate powers I don't have children but if I did I would be thinking I don't want to waste 43 years jumping into the wrong governance structure to see it not grow, see it be abolished and then see us have to fight to do this all over again. Any governance structure other than that what we've got now would be I think uh, a positive. I think then in, a, in an attempt to bring this to some kind of <laughs> because I, you know what, what we're clearly not going to do is in the space of an hour conversation have have either, either of you completely change your view on this but I think from from the sound of it and from listening to the two of you talk about it you you are reasonably close on on this really I, yeah I think and I think we kind of present, maybe presented this at the outset as a binary thing between devolution should be structured around cultural and identity based regions or devolution should be structured around economic. And I think you've both made the case, and I think you would both concede that actually it needs a degree of both. I mean, Arnie, I think certainly, you know, while while you maintain that cultural point, you're not saying that it doesn't need that economic underpinning underneath it. Uh, I mean, Adam, would you agree that it needs that cultural and identity grouping behind it as well, even if it's more focused on economic, or, or do you think that that's holding it back? I think both of those things... <laughs> <laughs> you think too Bizarre. much weighting of it, it hold, hold yes. it back. Yes, and, and I, th- I think that that's part of the challenge. I, absolutely, the the, the the greater man using the Greater Manchester example, it's it's got that I don't know cultural identity which has everyone behind it. Yes, and 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 you know on the streets of you know you go into Salford, I'm I'm sure people in Salford are saying from Salford. If they were somewhere else in the world, they would say Manchester. Um, and and you you don't necessarily have that across Yorkshire. Mm. So I think we're starting from a different base. And I I, I absolutely agree with 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 Arnie's, with many of the points that he made in terms of needing 
the popular support. I think would that would that be a fair description? I think so. But it's certainly whether it's support for devolution or a feeling of an emotional attachment. Yes, one of the two. I, of the two. I think we. I think. I think that's that is needed. So it's yes. a case of like not just conjuring, like for example, Humberside, not conjuring something together and just yes. saying this is this region because and, we've decided it. And then being clear, actually, pro- pro- probably then yeah. um, being clear about what the benefits would be and 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 being able to sell those benefits. So actually, look at it. Just just. In the way that that we would do things at, at social comms, if you're working on on a project, you look at it and say, well, well, what's the vision? Where do we want to get to? And then then you get the team that's that's across all the different offices looking at, well, what are those positives? Where do we need to get those messages into the right people? The public affairs stuff that you do, Annie. Without absolutely, that. you know, you're not just doing it because the. Your client's paying you to do it. You're doing it because there's a vision, there's an outcome, and you and you you, you get those messages out. Well, there. No, you're absolutely right, Adam. When we're undertaking, say, planning consultations or, or public engagement around projects, and it's about it's not just about the outcome. It's not about the retail part or the housing. It's about building the narrative and making people understand the benefits. And that's what I think we're very good at at social communications. It's ensuring that people fully understand what this means for them and overcoming that apathy, which just hasn't really happened on either side in the devolution debate. It's yes. been very structure-focused at the moment. Yeah, rather go- than governance-based, which, which abs- I mean, absolutely we, no we one... We love it, yeah, course, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Uh, many yeah. others may not. Yeah. Again, t- we've, we've kind of agreed throughout, but from a different position, if you like. But what, what would be interesting, if anybody's listening uh, to this... If, if anyone has got to hour one, minute two, <laughs> yeah. second twenty... Um, and, and there's anything that you think we got wrong, if, you, if there's, some, there's, there's some feedback that people want to give, if there's any of the economics that we got wrong, if any of the history that we got wrong, or if there's anything that, 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 that we've said that resonates with them and they want to get in touch and, and we can keep the conversation going, because that's a really, really important part for me, because this is about... Change. I mean, look look around the room. You can't see it because we're, we're on a podcast, but we've got people in and around the age of 30. I'm probably going to offend some and, and not others. Um, <laughs> that we're talking about devolution, and that's really important. That's really, really important to me, and I think we need to keep pushing that. And, and let me just echo what Adam said. It's, this, is, this is a debate, and whilst Adam and I agree on lots, I don't think we'll ever find genuine agreement on this matter, but we... We, I think we agree with the problem. Our our solutions are a little different. But talk to us and tell us where we're wrong, uh, unless it's about the Treaty of Westphalia. Just <laughs> leave, leave that alone. I, I, I claim no expertise. Get engaged with us. Speak to us. And you can get in touch with us if you if you want to discuss this uh, or indeed anything else we've discussed over the course of these podcasts. Um, we're on Twitter at social underscore comms. Uh, you can also find us on and engage with us on LinkedIn. Um, we're on Facebook as well. Uh, Adam, Arnie, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Uh, And you can find more episodes of Social Life on our website, social-communications.co.uk. And if you are enjoying the show, please do leave us a rating or review on iTunes so as to help other people find and enjoy it as well. We'll be back next time with a look at another area of Social's complete communications offering or possibly another area of our, our expertise, as Arnie and Adam have done so today. So until then, goodbye. 